I'm Dawn Durham, and welcome to Patent Pod. We've been hearing about the science of math and are curious about how this will work to impact educators and, most importantly, our students. Joining Patent Pod today is Dr. Elizabeth Hughes, Dr. Corey Peltier, and Dr. Sarah Powell. Welcome all of you to Patent Pod. We're excited to have this conversation with you today. Sarah, I'm going to jump right in and start with you. So the science of math, my understanding is it's kind of a movement. It's a big shift for all of us in education. Talk to us about what do you mean by a movement and really what's the goal of this organization? That's a really good question, Don. So probably many of you are familiar with the science of reading and we see the science of reading as a movement that is and was responding to many students who struggled with reading. And so when we thought about this term movement, we looked at the definition for movement and we see that a movement is something that is trying to make change occur. And so that's what we're trying to do with this group associated with the science of math. Now with the science of math, we are trying to change the way that mathematics is taught in schools so that every student in a school has an opportunity to succeed with math. And so we see that with the science of math, the primary goal is to provide educators, caregivers, and really anyone who's interested in education with easy to access information about evidence-based practices in math. Evidence-based practices are those things that have shown time and time again to be helpful for students to learn math well. And it is important to note that the science of math is not static. We see this as evolving so that as our scope of understanding and evidence-based practices develop, our recommendations for effect effectively teaching math, those will evolve as well. You know, I love that you said really the definition of movement is to make change. And your yeah, goal is really, and the goal of this group is really to think about how mathematics is taught and ensure that anyone is really aligning those practices with evidence-based practices. And I do appreciate, Sarah, I have to say, I appreciate you talking about that it's evolving. It's mm -hmm. not a, here's what we say, and it's gonna remain like this for the next 10 years. It's always looking at the science, always looking at what's coming out with around the evidence, what's coming out with best practices, um, and what's really effective with students, and making sure that we're continuing to evaluate and implement those practices. And I think that's a really key piece to kind of hold on to. Thank you for that. That's exactly right, Don. I think that's key in education is always, you know, understanding what has worked in the past and then where we can take information that's coming out right now and then inform practice in the future. Inform future practices. I think that's a phrase we want to keep going with. What's going on now and inform future practices. I appreciate that. You know, Elizabeth, I'm going to jump to you here. So I'm thinking about this, this movement, the, the hope and the desire and the goal to make change, particularly around how mathematics is taught in the classroom at all grade levels. Mm -hmm. And I'm thinking there had to be something that started this, right? There had to be some data that led to you all saying, hey, we need to look at a movement. We need to put some things together to really help folks understand mathematics and mathematics instruction. So talk to me about what that data was and why you all felt the science of math was so needed. Thank you, Dawn. Um, yes, we are, we are very interested in making data-driven decisions. And I mean, in education, we know that we collect data at the student level and school level. Um, one of the things if we look at um, kind of like a robust indicator is how we're doing performing at the national level 
And so before COVID, the National Assessment of Educational Progress, or NAEP, uh, data showed that a lot of students were having difficulty with mathematics, um, as demonstrated by performing below proficiency. So just to kind of put this into place, um, at grade four, 49% of the students did not meet minimal levels of mass, math, excuse me, math proficiency. So that's about half of our students. And as students progressed in school, um, by grade 12, it was 76% of students that were not meeting proficient levels. Um, and so that that caused some concern, especially because we we have evidence and we have information to better support these students. Um, I also see this as as an issue grounded in in social justice. When we look at students who are um, historically marginalized in education, black and Hispanic students, students who are receiving free and reduced lunch, um, emergent bilinguals, and students with exceptionalities. These data are um, even show even less students being proficient. Mm -hmm. So with the, the science of mathematics, we really, as Sarah said, see the need for all students to receive high quality instruction. It really shouldn't just be um, for a privileged few to receive yeah. good math instruction and learn mathematics. Um, along with the data, I mean, those NAEP data were before COVID. So once we think about COVID and all that has happened in the past two years, this just kind of exasperates our need to address learning efficiently in schools. Um, and I want to highlight a, a fellow Pennsylvanian and Professor or Dr. David Bateman at Shippensburg University of Pennsylvania at a recent uh, conference, he talked about the Individuals with Disabilities Education Act or IDEA, and he talked about the importance of, of the way we talk about instruction um, shifting from access to accountability. And I think that really rings true here, where it's not just students have access to a math class, but there's accountability for student learning. And I'm not mm -hmm. talking about another test or assessment, but really um, accountability on and the instruction and that we're teaching students how students best learn. That accountability of instruction. I, another great piece we want to really hold on to. It's really about that accountability of what it is we're providing. And I just, I don't want to, I don't want to bum us out, but the numbers you shared are very, very disturbing. They really are. Large <laughs> numbers of our students are not demonstrating proficient skills in mathematics. And that is something for us all to be concerned about. You had mm -hmm. talked about even the fact that we know the evidence. We know what to do in a mathematics classroom. It's a matter of ensuring that we're putting that, those practices in place throughout the grades. Um, um, and I, you know, I appreciate that you you dipped your toes right into the social justice issue. Yeah, this is about making sure that every student has access to high quality instruction in mathematics, and again, that accountability of our instruction. So I appreciate that you brought that to the forefront of our minds. Thank you for that as well. So I'm I'm thinking about all this, and and I see the need for change. Your data indicates that, or the data indicates that we have to make some changes in our instruction to really align with the evidence. And, and Corey, maybe you can help me out here in, in trying to explain to us what are those skills that we need to be focused on in order to be proficient in math? And if we can just take that a step further, how can the science of math assist us in those proficiency skills? 
Yeah, that's a great question. So uh, if we tie back to the science of reading movement that uh, Sarah mentioned at the beginning, we had the National Reading Panel and that final report, which has been a really foundational document that has dictated a lot of policy change along with just general instruction. And something that I sometimes kind of find funny is not many people know that there's a national mathematics advisory panel report. I think it was published in 2007 or 2008. And within that document, it explicitly lays out the goal is for success in Algebra 1. Algebra 1 seen as a, a gateway course, uh, access to post-secondary opportunities. It's linked to higher paying jobs for students when they graduate. So it's just like we need to uh, ensure students are successful in Algebra 1. And so through curriculum, uh, through revisions like the Common Core State Standards or even a lot of states that have updated to their standards, a lot of them are uh, grounded in the idea of getting students to become successful in algebra. And so when we look at that, that starts early, like literally pre-KK, even before kids enter school, there's so much early numeracy skills that are really pivotal. Things like counting, right? One-to-one -one correspondence, understanding the idea of greater or less than quantity discrimination. All those early bedrock skills are integral to ensure that students are entering school well prepared to learn. Once we get into the elementary grades becoming very fluent in whole number computation, understanding just the nature of our place value system, all of those skills become extremely integral that students build fluency in them. And then as we shift further, we then get into fractions and decimals, becoming proficient with those core skills, which then all directly will feed into algebra proficiency. You know, I, I, I am blown away. I have to be very honest and open and transparent. I did not know that there was a National Mathematics um, Advisory Panel report put out. And why don't, why don't I know that, right? Why don't we know that? And that's, that's such a key piece. I want, I want all of our listeners to be thinking, wow, that's something I need to get access to and to really explore that. Because as you had said, the National Reading Panel report is pretty well known we should also be very well versed in that report for mathematics as well. You had talked about Algebra 1's kind of that, that gateway. That's that, that's that gatekeeper there. And, and we can start in that pre-K, kindergarten, even before with early numeracy. You talked about just whole number knowledge. You talked about as we continue to grow place value knowledge. And then moving to fractions and decimals, which all sets this, I, 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 what I hear you saying is, sets this solid foundation to propel us forward in mathematics, particularly being successful at that algebra one, which is such a key piece. Am I, am I kind of understanding and capturing that correctly? Yeah, the only other thing I think I might have kind of lost, uh, didn't highlight enough, and it's kind of funny I'm saying this because Sarah and Elizabeth are here, but language in mathematics is very important also. And so Sarah and Elizabeth have a couple really good pieces talking about like making sure we're doing enough providing uh, instruction on mathematical vocabulary, perhaps beginning to use writing more often within the domain of mathematics. And uh, it's, it's really interesting because when you think about the science of reading movement, we hear dyslexia mm -hmm. all over. We see those students need, we need, language is so important in how we learn and also how it's a mode in which students are assessed of their learning. And so we need to ensure within our mathematics classrooms that students are given the opportunity to verbalize their mathematical thinking. And uh, they're given the opportunity to acquire and then build fluency in actually using mathematical terminology correctly. Thank you for making sure that we went right back to that. Language is so key. And I'm going to go with consistent language is what I'm thinking as well. That consistent yes. language is so key. As you had said, really verbalizing 
a student's thinking, maybe adding in more writing as that of those components. So I'm, I'm glad that we, we kind of went back and made sure to tighten up that understanding. These skills that you're talking about in order to be proficient in mathematics, as we had said earlier, the evidence says this is what needs to be included within our classroom instruction, and we really want to start aligning those pieces together. So I, I think that's such a great piece to be adding. So I'm sitting here and I'm listening to this and I'm taking this in and as an educator and a practitioner, I'm thinking, yes, this is what I'm looking for. This is what I didn't know I needed. So Elizabeth, I'll start with you. If you can kind of start this conversation, how do I become involved with the science of math? How do I understand what um, these skills are and how to really move my own instruction forward and really start a conversation with my colleagues? Where do we go as educators to get the science of math information? Well, I think you um, you started it perfectly. I mean, one of the first things that they can do is um, come listen to you at, at Patent Pod, which the <laughs> listeners are already doing. So if you're here, you've already taken the first step. Um, and then engaging in conversation, asking questions, asking questions um, of your coworkers asking questions of the administrators uh, when you're adopting a new curriculum or your current curriculum, being a critical consumer and saying, does this align with what we know about how to teach science? Um, when you have professional developments come in, are they bringing evidence-based practices and evident or information about evidence-based practices? So I think some of it is asking those questions to disentangle myth from what we know and the truth and the reality um, and uh, replacing things that that may not be helpful or could even be harmful to students because it's not aligning and, and leading to future success. And I think with that, we um, kind of going back to the science of math and in the movement, um, we have a website where um, listeners can go online and find out information. We have some short one-pagers about myths, um, about evidence-based practices. We're working on some right now where teachers are sharing what they're actually doing in the classroom so that we can really highlight what wonderful things are happening in the classroom that align with the science of mathematics. Um, we also have a a Twitter account, but I will let somebody else talk about that. Yeah, our Twitter account is at for the numeral science of math. And um, if you're active on Twitter, please join us there uh, where you'll have lots of daily conversations about topics related to the science of math. And we also have a Facebook group. Corey, do you want to tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, so the Facebook group is a little bit more open. So people are just sharing information and knowledge there. The other thing that we've done through the Facebook group is hold uh, webinars. And so I've organized a bunch of webinars and something that I'm constantly looking for is topics that teachers actually care about and are asking questions. So if uh, you jump on Facebook, I think it's called the Science of Math. I think if you search for that, there's a group on Facebook that you would be able to join. And feel free to just say, hey, Corey, this is a topic I really am interested in, and uh, I will find some people and we'll do a webinar on it. Oh, I love that. I love that you're looking for and asking for teacher feedback because that's so important. And I, I appreciate that you all recognize that is what is it the teachers are asking for? What is it the teachers need? I think that's such a valuable piece. So we're talking website, we're talking Twitter, we're talking Facebook, we're heavy on that social media platform. But I really appreciate, Elizabeth, that you started us off with ask questions. 
ask some questions, be curious, engage in those conversations around professional learning, around curriculum, around programming, around what's happening in my own classroom and outside of my classroom. And I think that's such a great place to start by just engaging in professional conversations and then jumping through and kind of accessing the great materials that you all have to share. Again, website, Twitter, Facebook, all wonderful platforms. So I have to tell you, I'm just tickled that we were able to have this conversation today. You know, we don't know what we don't know. And you all have opened, you certainly have opened my eyes. And I'm guessing for a lot of our listeners as well, has really opened our eyes to what is the science of math movement? Why do we need it? And then how do I become a part of that by really accessing the information you're sharing and making changes to my instruction in the mathematics classroom? So thank you, all three of you, so much for being with Pat and Pod today. I'm just so happy to have this conversation. Thank you so much, Don, And we look forward to working with you and all of your listeners on the science of math. So join this movement. Awesome. Love it. Thank you so much. Thank you to all of you in the field. You are truly an inspiration to us all. A special thank you to John Ragsdale for producing this podcast. We'll see you next time on Patent Pod.